Welcome to another Ed Choice Chat. This is part of our School Choice in Pop Culture series. Today, I'm here with Brian McGrath, our Vice President of External Relations, and I'm Abby Hayes. I am our CRM and Email Marketing Manager. We are going to be talking about Last Man Standing, which is honestly not something that I've been watching, but it's pretty funny. It's Tim Allen's not new show. I described it as new the other day when I was telling my husband about this, and he reminded me it's not actually new. Right. But I haven't seen anything with Tim Allen in it for a very long time, so it feels new. Uh, so we're chatting about a couple of things that happen in two different episodes of this show, which is kind of a family-based sitcom where Tim Allen is raising kids, and he's got kids in high school, and he has a grandson who is, I don't know, seven or eight, you think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, who and they're making some schooling choices, which is why it came up as part of our series. So, and this was a new show to yeah. me as well. I mean, I, I must say I don't watch a lot of uh, what I would consider modern TV, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, So I was like, oh, this is, sounds like a good show. Someone had pointed me to it, and then yeah. you happened to bring this up. Um, yes, but it's not a new show. Apparently it's uh, – I don't know. Is it still even on? I guess it's on for its eighth season or something like that. I think so. it's still running. Anyway, we watch yeah. it on Hulu, so that's where it's available if exactly. you're interested in, in watching it. Uh, so we're just going to start with this, this first clip where they're talking about making choices about this child's education and where he is currently. Why are they teaching him Spanish in the first grade? Well, honey, it's a bilingual school. The teacher says everything in English and then says it again in Spanish. So you work twice as hard to learn half as much. <laughs> or they are learning twice as much because they're learning another language. How do they even understand twice as much? There's no time for math. That's just how they have to do it at Wilson Elementary. Woodrow Wilson. Oh, Woodrow Wilson. He won the First World War. He was a great president. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, that's funny. That scene. And I guess we should, I mean, for if you don't know the show very well, so Tim Allen's character, Mike, is sort of a, you know, right of center conservative suburban dad. Is that what you would characterize him as? Yeah, I think that's about right. And his wife is a public school teacher, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I feel like in these... I think in the earlier season, she's not working, but then eventually she goes, she back, goes back to teach to, at okay. a pretty high-needs um, public school. I think she teaches high school science. Okay. Yeah. So they're talking here about um, the little kid, Boyd is his name. They're talking about his experience in, I think he must be in first grade. He looks about the same age as my kid. Um, and so he's at this public school, and it's a public school that does bilingual education, which I actually looked at some statistics Apparently, according to the Harvard Graduate School of Education, there were about 260 dual language programs in 2000. And in 2011, there were an estimated 2,000. Yeah. So this is obviously like a big form of education that's growing. Um, and I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, my, uh, um, so my sister uh, has had, had her three children have all gone to a bilingual oh, yeah. school in, uh, where she goes. And um, they really liked it. Now, part of that is because her husband is... Dutch, so I think, you know, he kind of liked the idea uh, of them learning multiple languages. And she actually um, wasn't a French major or anything like that, but but studied French um, pretty you know seriously and enjoyed that. So I think they had it kind of built into them. Cool. What's interesting about this situation is I think they're saying it's bilingual because the demographics of the school. So this is a little <laughs> bit different scenario. <laughs> I think uh, so. But when I saw that, one of the things that did make me think of was sort of going back to my sister's model of it is that. Uh, and she's in an area that is probably mixed of of incomes, let's say. Yeah. Um, so some parents who you know are choosing the schools for various reasons, some who are choosing or being forced into them or others or whatever it may be. But anyway, it, it struck me that Tim Allen's character Mike seems to be thinking, well, why are we doing this fancy bilingual stuff? Like, why can't they just learn the basic stuff that I learned when I was in right. school? So there right. is, and, and it strikes me there is this sort of um, uh, part of the premise of choice. 
mm-hmm. is that there's going to be all these different schools and all these different things, and parents are all going to want that, and they'll make these choices based on what's good for their kid and a lot of stuff. And I think that's all, that's all basically mm-hmm. true. I do think, however, there is a segment of the population out there, and it may be even a large one, that says, hey, I just want my school to do the things that need to be done, and I don't want to be involved sure. in it at all. So sure. just, you know, I'm paying my, my taxes here. You take care of the kid during mm-hmm. the day. Educate them so they can have a good life. And whether you teach them X, Y, or Z is not really my, like, you're the expert kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so I don't know. I, one of the things that just struck me was that his sort of, you know, how do they have time to do all these other things if they're doing all these fancy new bilingual things? And right. there are some people who feel the same way about, why do we have STEM schools? Why do yeah. we have, you know. Fine arts schools. Fine arts schools. Side of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I it also, um, I thought it was interesting because I know parents who have had kids in bilingual schools and they they do tend to come along a little more slowly. So that's something that is sort of interesting about different models of education is right. like then uh, this is a problem with standardized testing, right? Is like then if you've got kids in all these different models of education, third graders don't necessarily know all the same things about math right. because they're learning in two languages. So they tend to they eventually catch up. The statistics right. in the studies show that eventually bilingual students catch up and then exceed in language skills because two languages. Right. But it takes some time. So there has to be sort of this acceptance of like, well, you know, I mean, as a parent, you have to know that's normal. Right. But it is an interesting situation yeah. for different st- types of education. Yeah. So the next clip, um, just to just to clarify to you that Boyd is their grandson, not their right. child. So now we're there's some family tension between <laughs> what the yeah. grandparents think is best for the kid versus what the parents think is best for the kid. So in the next clip, they're actually talking with Boyd's parents about this school and why he's there and kind of how that aligns with their values, which may or may not prove to be different later in the episode. Did you guys ever consider sending him to a charter school? No. If white middle class families pull their kids out of urban schools, those schools are just going to get worse. How cute. You think you're middle class. (laughs) We are very happy with Wilson. Really? Maybe I should teach Boyd how to fashion a shiv out of a lunch tray. (laughs) Do not put those thoughts in his head. Come on, buddy. Let's grab your stuff. Come on. I do not want you giving Boyd the idea that he is unsafe around other cultures. We want to raise him with an open heart. So this idea that if middle-class parents pull their kids out of neighborhood schools, the schools will get worse. Right. Uh, it's very common to hear that. I mean, I've, I actually heard it from, again, the same sister of mine who has her kids in this bilingual school. Um, and she was a public education teacher for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, you know, I don't know that it's, you know, I've not seen data on it, for example. Sure. But it's a, it's a tough thing because you don't want to be bailing out on what you consider to be your part of your community. Mm-hmm. And the tension is there by saying, though, but, geez, you know, ultimately parents want the, what's best for their kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, it's hard to tell somebody, you know, you've got to be staying there and, and be part of the fix. You know, right. the five-year plan that seems to come out every year or from, sure. you know, whatever schools that are struggling. Um, and you guys have to stay. Or otherwise, uh, you know, the whole thing goes down. Yeah. I don't know. Tough for me to, yeah. as a parent, to say, yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer for that duty. Um, especially when there seems to be not accountability on the flip side, which is, you know, if, if you're staying in this school, you expect it to get better. And if it doesn't get mm-hmm. better, then what happens? Then I mean, what? this is the yeah. argument people um, often have about charter schools because charter schools, at least they close if they're not any good, typically. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot here in our home city of Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's tough. I don't know that it's that there's a great answer to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the old libertarian uh, argument was, well, if it deserves to close, it deserves to close. Everybody leaves, then, you know, right. eventually it'll be small enough. People have, all have to go. So. 
uh, a tough balance there. I think an interesting part about this clip, though, that too that speaks to me is the um, you know, so Tim Allen's character Mike is talking about safety, right? And so this is you know a big issue for most parents, mm-hmm. especially in in inner city schools, I believe. Actually, these days in all schools, in I mean, all of them, everywhere. I live in a suburban area, and we're all talking about yeah. you know school shootings and and everything else, but. Yeah. Um, but the day-to-day kind of safety concerns that parents uh, or caregivers have for their children is real. And um, that seems to be his big concern in this particular clip. It's not the yeah. bilingual education anymore. It's the, yeah. I got to teach him how to defend himself because he's in a dangerous spot. Well, and I wonder what evidence that's based on. Because right. a lot of times those decisions are based on fear and not evidence. Um, but yeah, I mean, school safety is a big thing. We have a report coming out about it soon about um, the different types of things that schools do to help keep their students safe and how those align with the values of the parents. Um, yeah, and definitely I hear this this sort of tension. So we actually live in an urban neighborhood that's definitely a developing neighborhood, mixed income, and our kid is in a magnet school here in Indy. So it's a public school, but it's a public magnet where she's in a school that does not look like our neighborhood. It's largely white and middle class. Right. Um, it's a good fit for her for other reasons, but there has been a lot of a lot of tension with us of like, well, there are really good things happening at our neighborhood school right. that is truly our neighborhood school. So do we, you know, do we go back there? Do we not go back there? The things that are happening are kind of new. So some of what's some of our discussion has been like, well, maybe not yet. Maybe maybe we wait and see what happens there because right. it, it hasn't been a high performing school and it has been really struggling. So maybe we see how these changes take root. And then, you know, in three more years when our son is kindergarten age, right. we can revisit this discussion. But it, it is, a, I mean, there's just a lot of different values that play into the education that we choose for our kids. And I think sometimes we tend to oversimplify it. Like, well, there will be one school that's like this utopian right. good fit. And that's not necessarily the case. So we might, we might find that like, well, you know, we had to give on these values to express these values in our choice. But being able to do that is right. a privilege that not a lot of parents have, and I'm grateful for that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's true. And I think it also speaks to, um, well, one, it should be noted that, you know, urban schools are not all dangerous, they're not all bad, they're all sure, the same. Sure. I mean, that's the other you know, fallacy is that all urban schools are this sort of blanket, <laughs> right. you know, whatever it may be, and that's yeah. obviously not the case. There are plenty of urban schooling environments, whether they be um, public schools, charter schools, private mm-hmm. schools, that are perfectly, you know, They're situated really well. for lots of people sure. and doing great, and people sure. want to get there. Um, but I think it's a matter of... of trying to create the environment, as we always talk about, that, you know, you are able to find the school mm-hmm. that works best for your kid. Yeah. Yeah. And also writ large, just on kind of that note of people moving out, we have seen in the school choice data that when school choice comes into a community and allows parents other options, whether their parents, I mean, often they're the low income parents who wouldn't have had another option to begin with, then the public schools in that area actually, they definitely don't co- decline because right. of those programs. And often they improve because it does mean that parents get a little bit more say in how the school works right. and what the system looks like. So yeah. kind of broadly, but those those issues can still be kind of emotional for individual families. Yeah, absolutely. So in the next clip, we are actually kind of skipping over an idea that Mike has in this episode where he says, well, this school is a terrible fit for Boyd, so why don't we let him use our address, which obviously, you know, their parent, they, Mike and his wife live in a, a nicer, more middle-class neighborhood than their daughter and son-in-law who live in an apartment, presumably in more of a downtown area. Um, So why don't we let them use our address and then Boyd can go to the neighborhood school here, which is a a better school, quote unquote. Um, And so he pitches that idea to his wife and his wife is like, yeah, that's a great idea. And also 
it seems like um, I, we neither of us have watched all the episodes, but I think that Boyd, Boyd lived with he them did. for like the first, like first year, five years, years of their yeah, life. Right. And so they've only recently moved out. So I think part of it is also he just wants his grandson back for a couple right. nights a week. Um, so, yeah. So now we're going to watch the scene where he actually pitches that to Boyd's mom. You know, we pay taxes for a great elementary school right in our neighborhood. Why doesn't he go there? You really think Wilson's that bad, Mike? Go online. Check it out. The only thing Wilson tests high in, lead. <laughs> could use our address. Of course he could use our address. Clark. Yeah. I mean, he does still have a bedroom here. You could stay here a couple nights a week. That would that would be great. I mean, I'm, you would like that. You know what? As long as we're doing this because it's in Boyd's best interest yeah, and course. we are not just clingy grandparents trying to hang on. You think I'm a clingy grandparent? Or casa, or at least the address. In case you want to send Boyd to the elementary school in our neighborhood. You mean lie to the school district? Well, it's not exactly the Lufthansa heist. <laughs> People do this all the time. And besides, I think your mom might like to have Boyd a couple nights a week. Oh, make mom happy. She'd huh? love it. Yeah. She'd really okay, Dad, it. Ryan and I like Boyd going to Wilson because it's multicultural. It's only multicultural now because Boyd is going there. <laughs> this is not up for debate. Ryan and I debate. are completely listen, together listen, on I've this. We want to be a part of the solution at Wilson, not a part of the problem. Right, Ryan? <laughs> Wait, we could, we could do that? We could use your address? Yeah. But we don't want to because we're happy with our school. Well, we kind of had to be happy because that was our only option, Chris. Should we have gone over the definition of united front? I mean, face it. Wilson is overcrowded and the faculty is overwhelmed. I mean, in my first PTA meeting, I was the only P. So you're all alone with just T and A. Come on, let's be real. He should be able to go to a school where he can have a desk every day and sixth graders don't steal your lunch money. Boyd was robbed? No, me. <laughs> but these girls were really aggressive. But Brian, whatever happened to it, it takes a village. It does take a village. I just think that when it comes to our son, I'd prefer to be in your dad's village. You really have a great village, although it, you gotta look pretty hard to find a good bum fight. Oh, so people in other villages aren't as good as the people in your village. You just don't build as good a school. See, this is why I moved Boyd out of your house, so that he wouldn't have to grow up listening to toxic ideas like that one. Well, it's your call. I was just looking out for Boyd. No, 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 you were just looking out for yourself, Dad. This isn't about Clark and Wilson. This is about you wanting Boyd around your house more. Tuck that kid in for five years. Maybe I'm having a tough time letting that go. Where to begin with that one? Yeah, lots of stuff there. There is a lot uh, of stuff there. Interesting you know, that uh, Ryan, um, you know, sort of all of a sudden that he realizes there's another option. All of a sudden, ooh, wait a minute. No, mm -hmm. He's not quite as gung-ho. Yeah. Um, because choice does give you, you know, a different perspective on things. If you know you can only yeah. have one thing, then you're going to usually think that's the best thing ever. But uh, yeah, all of a sudden you've got two or three choices. Ooh, well, maybe yeah. not. Um, so I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah, that uh, was really interesting. I, that the line that he says, like, be, we didn't have a choice. Like, yeah, right? Yeah, if we you were happy because we had to be. You yeah, know. you're stuck. Another thing that jumped out at me there um, was when uh, Mike and his daughter are arguing about, you know, our village has better schools or whatnot. And, right. You know, her immediate pushback is sort of, um, you know, to accuse him of being toxic and accuse sure. him of being whatever. 
And I think that is a very all too common uh, sort of fact <laughs> of life and in our life generally on any issue. Yeah. Education, very touchy, of course. But mm-hmm. um, there is this sort of, um, you know, if, if you're into something and someone's not, you know, if they have a different idea. It's not it, it can't be because of, you know, altruistic ideas. It's got to right. be because you hate this or you're toxic or yeah. whatever. And I think they see that a lot of places and education yeah. debates, just one of them. Yeah, for sure. And she does later in the episode, which we won't watch any more of it, but she does go back and apologize. Right. And they do end up accepting the offer. And so from what I have gleaned from the rest of the show, Boyd lives with his grandparents or stays over at their house a couple nights a week, goes over there after right. school. Um, and then they use their address to send Boyd to this other neighborhood right. school, which can we talk about that? Sure. He that's... says, people do this all the time. It's not like it's Lufthansa heist. And you're right. like, well, actually, people go to jail for they this. They do. They have gone to jail for it, which seems crazy. It's insane, uh, isn't it? But it happens more often than you think. Yeah. And uh, kind of high-profile high cases, too. Yeah. Um, which seems crazy. It just seems like, you know, putting all the effort into forcing these families into the, mm-hmm. a school they don't want to be in, um, why not do the other thing, which is letting them... Yeah. Choose where they want to go. Because I I also think there's this notion that, oh, if you give people choice, they're all going to leave these schools. Right. The reality is that is not true. I mean, we've seen voucher programs across the country start up, but it takes Mm -hmm. years to get people to, one, know about them, and two, to choose them. I mean, um, we've got a very robust voucher system in Indiana, and um, it's taken a long time to get it there, but it's still a relatively small percentage of kids. Uh, I think, what are we up to, 15, 16% mm-hmm. choosing something other than their locally zoned school? Well, and I think it might be higher than that, but a lot of it is... It's public is public. A lot of it's public public district right. to district choice. Right. People who live in my side of town driving out to the Far East right. side, so they're outside the loop and outside right. of IPS. And actually, a lot of it happens in places that are more kind of smaller town, rural Indiana, yeah. where if you live in Anderson, you want to go to lapel schools mm-hmm. or whatnot. And so same idea that you're not going far, but you're yeah. out of system. So. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, people, you know, given a certain amount of motivation, people will do all sorts of things sure. to get their kids what they want <laughs> out of them. We've seen this in the recent college admissions oh scandal, <laughs> um, which doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, in fact, yeah. it's, it's a ridiculous notion that this hasn't been going on for a long time oh, and that sure. people have been giving money and buying favors and access sure. for years. I mean, that's, this is not new. Um, but the fact that the system is acting so strange about it, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I don't put it on any of these parents who did whatever it is they could take uh, or could do to, to get their kid into these schools. I blame the schools entirely for being part of the scam, if there was such a thing, right? I got to be honest. I'm not sure if I, I probably put a little blame on the parents because, like, really, you're jumping through all these hoops for USC. Well, you can you can debate their value of that, <laughs> uh, of their, their choice of school. Although for a lot of these folks, I would imagine the choice of school has to do with the network they're buying into. I mean, sure, that's I mean, probably true. I mean, there are millions, or not millions, you know, but lots of great schools out there. Lots of good ways to get yeah. educated. Um, and going to USC, maybe one, and going to Harvard, maybe one, sure. going to Indiana University, whatever. But um, some of it's prestige and those things. So yeah. I guess you can you can fault their motives perhaps a little bit. Um, but but yeah. if you're a parent, I mean, and I see this, I mean, uh, believe me, I see it every day in, in things like youth sports. Oh, sure. You know, parents, you know, fixing the system so they can get all their kids on one team so they can dominate the fourth grade basketball league or <laughs> they can, you know. Very important life goals Make here. sure, you know, they get the preferential treatment by the coach, this and that yeah. and the other. I mean, this this stuff is rampant because the human nature of a parent, most parents, mm-hmm. is to look after your kid and do whatever sure. you can if you have the resources to ensure yeah. their success. Yeah. I would argue maybe we do too much of that. Um, I we don't let kids fail would agree enough. with you on that, yes. But um, – 
But so I think that's what this is really lends itself to is that yeah. people are going to game the system. And I have friends who've done it for completely different reasons. We did um, it when I was a kid. Yeah. We uh, we were in a small county school, and after my parents got divorced for a while, neither of them lived in the county, and we used my grandparents' address, and yeah. we spent a lot of time there, but I was not a dependent on their taxes. Yeah. And that was before. I mean, we wouldn't have to do that anymore. My sister lives out of district now, close to where we did live at the time, and my niece goes to the school where we grew up um, because of interdistrict transfer. It's not a big deal now. Right. But back then, I mean, we were committing address fraud. Right. And I would say even though we have um... – you know, public school choice in this state, for example, in a lot mm-hmm. of places, there's there's still resistance to the notion from the school districts because they're looking after, you know, some of the right. bottom line. So I have a friend who for years tried to get his daughter into another school district mm-hmm. right across the line. They didn't ask for anything, just let her, you know, show up and be a part of the school. Mm-hmm. And the district kept saying, no, we don't have room, which was not true. But yeah. they would just stonewall and make it hard. And so eventually, yeah. ironically, what happened was uh, something similar to this show, the the guy's grandparents happened to move into that community. And so now I think yep. the school actually finally said, okay, now that we know you're committed to the district, we'll let you, you know, come. But it okay. was, it was crazy. The hoops you had to go now to. Now that somebody's paying property taxes I guess, here. yeah. We I don't mean, really it was, care who it is. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the lengths people are asked to go to just to try to get what's best for their yeah, kid. It's crazy. And wouldn't it be better to try to you know, open up the, yeah. the existing system a little bit so they could stay around. For sure. And that's totally what we see happening here is like, Darrell Bradford just wrote a really hard-hitting piece, as Darrell tends to do, right. in the 74 about this college admission scandal and how sort of the the middle class of people that is gen, generally the most vocally outraged about these, you know, these people like, we could never put $250,000 or more towards, right. our, towards getting our kids into a state school or any school. But those are the same people who are often on the other side of our issue who think that you know, well, school choice shouldn't be a thing because, you know, we we worked really hard to right. get into this neighborhood and, you know, we – and so he talks about the school choice by mortgage. Right. And how, you know, in some of the districts in states that have more expensive living conditions, like you have to pay more than half a million dollars for a mortgage and right. to get into a decent school district with highly rated schools – and that's a huge problem. And that's right. totally what we see happening here. Like, sure. they don't have a choice because they're in this downtown apartment because that's what they can afford. That's where they are. Right. But, you know, Mike has presumably a much larger <laughs> housing payment right. than they do in this nicer neighborhood. And so that gives him access to the schools. And it just creates this really difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. does. All right. So Boyd ends up going to this school for a season, whatever that is, in terms <laughs> right. of actual grades. We don't really know. Um, so he goes to the school for the next season. And then at the beginning of season five, um, in the fourth episode, it comes out the boys having some problems at school. So we'll watch that clip and just a little bit of background. I think in the season before that, from the research I was doing, Boyd got diagnosed with ADHD. So he's right. kind of had some cumulative problems at school and it seems to be coming to a head <laughs> now. <laughs> People are kind of freaking out about it. Did you talk to his teacher like I told you to? His teacher is the problem, okay? If she was doing her job, he wouldn't be bored. Oh, everybody blames the teacher. Yeah, but it's hard for us to keep kids interested when we have to teach them the test, and Lisa Morales shows up in a halter top. Put Boyd in another class and maybe get Lisa Morales a nice sweater. I can't just put him in another class, okay? There's all sorts of rules against that, but something's got to change because he's not learning anything anymore. Wow, the public education system. Imagine that, a large government program that doesn't work very well. Despite the heroic efforts of our teachers. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, one thing that I loved about this was watching, kind of mashing these episodes up, because I think if you were watching it through the season, it would be really easy to forget, like, Mike was the one advocating for moving Boyd right. to this really great public school, right. and now he's, like, totally not shocked that the public school <laughs> is not working for him. Right. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that's the great irony of it all is that it doesn't really matter in some cases, you know, if you, you know, schools, you know, take the label off them. Any organization you go to can be good, yep. bad, or otherwise, fit-wise. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. and so a quote-unquote good public school yeah. um, can be just as bad fit as a quote-unquote bad public school or mm-hmm. an average private school or a yep. army, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, you'll totally see that in all of our, like, our actual Ed Choice style guide. If we're using the word failing school, right. it's always in quotes because that's somebody's perception of the school, but right. that failing school, quote-unquote, might be serving some kids really well. Right. I mean, it does. It happens all the time. I, mean, I even remember a couple of years ago, a neighbor of ours, and we, we go to what we think is a fabulous public school yeah. with our kids. And, uh, but this guy was having a problem with because his daughter had struggling and and, mm-hmm. and trying to learn how to read, basically. And, uh, but he was really torn because I asked him at some point, hey, would you ever consider pulling her out? And he said, well, I really hesitated to do so. And his parents had been public school teachers. And so he was very loyal to this notion. Right. Of it. And I said, well, just because you would remove her from that school doesn't mean the school is bad or the teacher is necessarily bad. Sure. It just means it didn't work out. And so don't you have some, you know, interest in finding a way to, you know, get your daughter to learn how to read. Yeah. Uh, and it's not an indictment, but I think that happens a lot. I mean, I mm-hmm. think people, especially in what are considered high-end districts, yeah. there's a ton of pressure to be all in on the school and it's yeah. great and and not talk about anything that may be going you know, wrong there. And yeah. the reality is forever, I mean, um, you know, High-end districts, private schools, whatnot, have had this, some similar problems as, as sure. just any given school because yeah, you got yeah. people involved, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think his point about, you know, it's a funny joke by, you know, sort of a conservative guy to say, oh, you know, what government program works. <laughs> right. And I do think there's truth to it, even though it's funny. It's sure. that, you know, it's hard to manage large social organizations anyway. And public schooling is essentially a large social organization, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got all these, you know, we've got 50-some million kids in going to the public school system in this country, yeah. and the expectation is that they all do well. Yeah. Um, tough, tough to do, At, <laughs> no matter who's managing and, but it. They, and that they all do well in the same model. In right. This, like, we're going to find this perfect utopian model of teaching our children, and it's going to work for all of them. Right. As long as we put enough money into it, though, that's right. that's key. you got to make sure you're spending enough money yeah, on the school. Yeah, exactly. And I love <laughs> that's not a thing. I love Ryan's uh, kind of description of, you know, is when Mike's saying, well, just move to a different class. And he's like, well, it's yeah. really hard to do. It's hard to change teachers. Yeah. And, uh, and um, uh, Mike's wife is, is saying, you know, don't blame the teachers. We have to teach you a test. And then mm-hmm. Ryan talks about all these rules. And it's sort of like it's almost set up to confound anything other than kind of a robotic adherence to mm-hmm. your kid comes in the system this way and we just move him down the line. Yeah. And again, that's probably oversimplification of the system, but because there, again, are plenty of of good teachers and schools and everything sure. else that works, but um, but it doesn't seem to be set up. In fact, I know it's not set up to handle the individual, yeah, uh, because yeah. that's harder to do, right? And you know, I remember a guy I did some work with years ago in New Hampshire he used to say public schools in New Hampshire serve, you know, eighty five percent of the kids really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So let's not worry about that. Let's not cause a problem for that. But let's figure out how to handle those ten to fifteen that aren't doing well. If that means letting them leave, yeah. then let's let them leave. Then let's and, let them do something different. And, uh, sure. So that was kind of a fascinating. Uh, yeah. You're right that they moved to this, you know, this better school or better district or different district and yeah. are running the same problems because not because the school, but maybe it's the kid. Yeah. And it's just not a good fit for him. Right. It seems like he is maybe wandering attention, right. the whole like butt in seat for 
you know, eight hours a day right. thing is not working well for him, which is not all that uncommon for, very especially common. for, you have three boys. I have one of those, we deal with that every day. You know, just yeah. last night when we were up late doing some homework that he had just you know, not got around to doing, uh, we had that discussion. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I also liked her comment about teaching to the test. And right. I think that's such a big thing. And it's something that we talk a lot about in in the school choice movement about how, you know, testing isn't necessarily bad as a parent. Um, my daughter takes her school does the NWEA map test right. and I love it. So it comes back, you know, three times a year and I get to see like, okay, she's growing, you know, maybe this skill hasn't grown as much. So maybe we need to fill in the gap there. I mean, generally it's just reassuring to know like, yeah, she's, she's learning new things, right. but it's not, um, it's not formative really for her, her education or how her teachers, I don't feel that that way anyway. Like it's her teacher isn't, right. isn't having to like shoehorn certain things into her lesson to make it work that way. And, um, Actually, on the note of standardized testing, I was talking with an educator friend last week um, about how, uh, oh, it was Haley, our intern, Mm. and she was talking about teaching um, for a standardized test she's been doing in, uh, she's about to graduate with a degree in education, and she's been doing her internship this year, and she was talking about how she was having so much trouble with these kids because they were trying to answer test questions for reading comprehension that were about milking cows. And these kids have, I mean, they right. live in inner city Indianapolis. <laughs> they have never encountered a cow in their life. And just stuff like that with right. the way our system is sort of set up to that sort of factory model. Well, like, of course, they're American kids. They would know about how to right. milk a cow, right? Or at least what we're talking about. And Haley's like, they don't, like, their their comprehension isn't good because right. they don't have the language for this. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, we did a series on accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, they released a report just, uh, I guess, early this year or late last. I think it was late last year. And, yeah. um it was fascinating because we did a history of a Mike McShane, one of our um, really super smart research guys around <laughs> here. He's got some fancy title too. But, you know, he gave this history of accountability. And really up until oh, the late 70s, early 80s, there wasn't really a standard form of accountability. Um, yeah. And we've kind of created this mechanism that says, um, hey, we want more. Actually, it was driven by the fact that people didn't think schools were – I mean, this is the nation at risk reaction. Of, right. Hey, the schools are not doing a great job. We need to, you know, impart on them some some new accountability. So the the intent was probably okay. And there's a lot of debate now about tests versus other kinds of forms mm-hmm. of accountability. And is it life outcomes we're looking for, or college rates, or you know, all those different things? And no one knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think at least, but um, but it does seem like we swung pretty took a pretty hard swing at this. Let's give everybody these these standardized tests, mm-hmm. and that will tell us what we need to know. Mm-hmm. And then we found out, of course, that those tests are gamed, and that some kids sure. can't take them. Sure. And that you know, it seems like every time we get one, then they change it, and we're testing yep. something different. And the teachers complain about it. At least in it, Indiana, and the students hate it. And I, I personally um, have found it that when we have standardized tests at my kids, mm-hmm. my kids are. Eighth grade, sixth grade, and fourth grade. Um, so you've been through several rounds. I've been of through this. several rounds of it just here in Indiana. But the thing that has always bothered me is that um, they take about two weeks to prep for and take the test. Yeah, because it's so important for that's the, a lot for of the schools and the time. teachers. And so, um, in a way, the kids kind of like it because they don't do any actual homework or anything during that yeah, time. Yeah, sure. Uh, in a way, they hate it because they don't like to take tests. But yeah. as a parent, I just wonder. You know, does this make sense that we would spend so much time on yeah on tests? Two whole weeks. Um, but, you know, I yeah. think they're changing that, too. We're actually yeah. – now we're getting rid of it. Once we ramped it up, we decided it wasn't good enough. We're getting rid of it. <laughs> and uh, I think we would say that really the key – I mean, there are, there are these other things that could be important and maybe the right. way that they come together and having these conversations is important. But really the key is trusting parents. Like, we know if our 
children are doing well and we are capable of having those yeah. conversations and saying like, I feel like maybe, you know, you need some help here or I feel like maybe this isn't a good fit because you're bored out of your mind in class and right. bouncing off the walls or whatever. So I think that we would kind of always come back to that as an organization. Like ultimately, choice gives parents the option right. to make different choices, which is an, a form of accountability in yeah. and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... The next clip is Mike is pitching the idea of a private school because clearly, like, if the public school isn't working, then your only other option right. in his imagination at this point is a private school. So we'll just see see how that goes. Whatever problems he's having in school, it's not because he doesn't want to learn. It's just he needs more individual attention. Exactly, which is why we'll send him to private school. Good talk. <laughs> Sorry, what? Are we still on this? Private schools are elitist, and they go against all of my principles. Well, for once, this isn't about your principles. It's about what's best for the kid. Okay, we really aren't a private school family. Well, Vanessa and I would be happy to help you pay for it. Well, not happy, but we would pay for it. Mike, I... Listen, listen, look, private schools have more freedom. They have smaller class sizes. And, as you so brilliantly pointed out, Boyd needs the individual attention. Okay. Fine. I suppose it wouldn't hurt to look into some private schools. Don't have to bother. I ever did all your research for you. Ha ha. All right. Great talk. Yeah. Uh, so private schools are totally better than public schools, right? Oh. That's, that's uh, how that works? 100% of the time, except for the 100% of the times that they're not or whatever it may be. Uh, some are, certainly. Sure. Some aren't. Um, some are right in the middle of the road. Some fit the group of people they're serving very mm -hmm. well. And some people don't belong in them just because they won't fit there. I mean, it's... Yep. It's like any other institution. There's goods and bads with it. Um, you know, I think private school uh, purists would say, yes, they are always better. Um, but I, I don't, don't think the research holds to that. Research is not. Very well. And there are plenty of private schools that struggle. Um, yeah. We see this in the school choice movement all the time because we actually now, I mean, for a long time, private schools weren't, you know, their success rates and whatnot weren't tracked at all because no one cared, right? Right. And no right. public money and, you know, the public didn't really pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, now we have a lot more data on how they do and, and, yeah. you know, it's, and for some kids, they do really great. Sure. For some kids, not so much. Not so much. And um, in some cases, they're not much different than the public school. I mean, some of the teaching stuff isn't much different sure. and, and, um, you know, the, while they, you know, I think he says here they have smaller classrooms and I'm not sure if that's true or not universally. It's probably, probably true for some, probably true for some, mm -hmm. um, some of them, people would argue they don't have the resources that a public school might have, which is also sometimes uh, which true, which is also sometimes true. So. No, I don't think our position has ever been private schools are inherently better. We always have a belief that parents should decide which is inherently better for their mm -hmm. kid, whether mm -hmm. it's public, private, charter, or I like, school or whatnot. I think it's funny the idea that <clears throat> private schools are elitist. That's yeah. super common. And I mean, sure, there are some private schools sure. that cost more than my mortgage. However, there are a lot, I mean, especially like you think about Catholic schools and inner cities that have been serving underserved populations for generations right. and doing an incredible job at it. And doing it for no money. I mean, right. like they, they take way less money than the public schools get per student and they're doing an excellent job in some cases yeah. serving these students. And so I think the idea that all private schools. <laughs> right. Everybody has this, Im this image of it being, you know, some, um, you know, traditional Northeastern boarding yes. school on a hill yes. where the sun's shining. And, you know, it's, yeah. that is, I mean, I've been to plenty of private schools in, in urban areas that are you know, you wouldn't even know it was there yeah. until you go in and then you realize there's a lot of learning going yeah. on. Yeah, and they're pretty, I mean, sometimes they're pretty relaxed and casual and sometimes right. they are a little bit more like structured and right. that's good for the kids that are there. But um, I always like to point out when these conversations come up that most of us here at EdChoice, I actually think all of us right now that have kids in school have our kids at public schools. Um, whether, and I think yeah, from, I, I think, all, I don't think there's anybody that is at a private school right now. 
Uh, I could be wrong. I think I can think of one, but yes, it's anyway. The, the vast generally, majority. we yeah. do public schools, and our kids seem to be thriving. And I think most of us came from public schools yeah. too, so we're definitely not anti-public school by any stretch of the imagination. Right. No, we're just for whatever. Yeah, the whatever families works think best. works best for those kids. So, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but I think this is again goes back to the backlash people tend to feel if they if they choose something else. Mm-hmm. It's not only are you abandoning your local school, but you're going private. Oh, my gosh. You must be rich. Right. You must be privileged. You must right. be whatever. Um, a lot of times those people are not. In fact, there have been a lot, yeah. of, um, a lot of private schools that, I mean, you bring up the Catholic schools. I mean, they mm-hmm. exist largely because the congregations and the, uh, the parishes support yep. those schools yep. and the dioceses do. Yeah. Um, so there are plenty of people like me who happen to be Catholic who pay into the the, the kitty, as it were, so that sure. other people can go to school. And yeah. that's fine. I'm happy to do well, so. Well, and the cool thing, too, about some of the private schools is um, the one here in town that I love, the Oaks Academy, and I think they're up to like three schools now. They've been really intentional about doing um, socioeconomic integration, and they can do that right. because they're a private school in a way that zoned public schools can't because right. they just get whatever socioeconomic mix happens to live in their zone, which right. is usually pretty segregated. And the Oaks has kids that come in all the way from Carmel, which is a, right. a wealthier area here in Indy. And then there are kids who live right in the, and they always plant them in sort of distressed urban neighborhoods. Right. And there are kids from the neighborhood and kind of beautiful things happen because they're able to do that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. All right. But the idea of private school doesn't stick around long <laughs> yeah. because um, Ryan is not a fan for all the reasons. So then they start talking about homeschooling. So Ryan comes up with this idea that like, right. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to homeschool this kid and it's going to be awesome. And he gets a lot of pushback. There's a lot of a lot of people in the family who are like, I think there's sort of this general idea that Ryan's kind of a loser. <laughs> I actually don't think that like, from what I've seen, he's actually really invested in right. his kid. Um, and also that like homeschooling is weird. <laughs> right. I don't think we're going to watch that clip, but Mike brings up the the homeschooler that he knew as a kid who like lived on his block and carried around a dead goldfish right, in a bowl yeah. with no water, which is really weird. <laughs> but also like all kids are kind of weird about certain things. Like they <laughs> right. all have their quirks. So I'm not sure we can necessarily correlate that with homeschooling. Um, so before we launch into the clip about homeschooling, I looked up today as of spring 2016, the USDO DOE guesses um, in some states, homeschoolers aren't necessarily tracked. So we don't have really solid statistics on how many kids are homeschooled. But almost 1,700,000 students in the U.S. are homeschooled now. And we were talking earlier today while we were getting coffee about, like, it's just sort of a normal thing now. It's become much more normal. Do you personally know any homeschoolers? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. uh, You know, one family in our neighborhood that – and again, we live in a neighborhood that goes to a what is considered a you know a great public school. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not because they don't like the public school. They just decided – I think they have seven kids. And at that they, point, I mean, they homeschool them all. It sort of just seems to make sense at that point. Yeah. And then we have another friend who does the same thing, although they, they homeschool up until like um, middle school, I think. And so okay. they're, they're uh, or maybe it's, you know, it's beyond elementary. Yes. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, we know. And yeah. They, and I know a lot of people, there are a lot of people I know that um, do it again, not like they're in good, good districts with right. highly rated schools and those schools would probably be fine for their kids. But they want the flexibility of, like, especially if, you know, mom or dad travels for their job. They're like, right. oh, yeah, we can pick up and go to wherever for you, sure. with you for three weeks and hang out down there and do school wherever. Right. Um, so a lot of families, I think, are starting to, as work becomes more mobile, choosing it for those reasons. And a lot of parents are choosing it because they're working from home. Like, they, right. they have the capability to do flexible work. So it's not like you have to have one full-time stay-at-home parent anymore. Right. I mean – Maybe if you have seven kids, you yeah, <laughs> you might need somebody who like just does the schooling and the sure. <laughs> the kid raising thing with that volume of children. You know, but 
And they've also found ways, and I think they even address this in the clip. I mean, there are, it's not like you're in your house alone with your kid all day long and teaching them, you know, for eight hours. Yeah. There are these co-ops that exist. There are Mm -hmm. uh, different associations. It's become quite a community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, they work together to make it work for those who want to do it. Yeah. So. So let's go ahead and launch that clip. Hey, listen, uh, Ryan's coming in. We had a long talk last night, and I think that he might be coming around to your whole private school idea. Well, you know what? Your dad can be very convincing. Not all the time, because this place is not called Outdoor Mike's. <laughs> hey, there he is. Hi. Mm. Hey, Mike, uh, I wanted to thank you for your talk yesterday. You made some really good points. I had a little help from something called reality. I was dropping Boyd off today at school, and he asked me, why do I have to go back here? And I didn't know what to tell him. Kind of choking on the words, Grandpa was right? He had so much fun learning yesterday, and I realized he's never going to get that in those big classes at Clark. I I told you last night that I think private school was a great idea. I know, but I have an even better idea. Oh, boy. I'm going to take him out of Clark, and I'm going to homeschool him. Hey, looks like reality and I have a little more work to do. Let me make it even better. Ryan wants to homeschool Boyd. Homeschool? Oh, my God. Let's see. It's exactly what I said, but I, I didn't use the Lord's name in vain. Well, I hope you tried to talk him out of it. I mean, you obviously had time since you weren't making any dinner. Do you want some frozen stew? Well, what did you tell him? Well, at first, I thought it was a bad idea. Now, I did some research, and I'm sure you know this, but homeschool has become like a valid option. It's not just for weirdos that carry around dead goldfish. That's scary. I know you're talking about Tommy Clayman, <laughs> but Senator Clayman aside, I'm concerned about Boyd's socialization. Well, you know, but they do get together with other homeschool kids. They go on field trips. It's much like your wine club that pretends to read books. Uh, you need trained teachers to help prepare kids for college. Talk to my chancellor buddy at UC Boulder. They like homeschool kids. They're independent. They're critical thinkers. All right, well, as much as I'm enjoying this homeschooling, I still think public schools have a lot to offer. Yeah, I get it, but, you know, public school hasn't worked well for Boyd. What's the future for this kid? He's built like a chimney sweeper. They just don't use them anymore. Well, look, I get it. I mean, obviously, Boyd needs more individual attention. You said it yourself. Your, yeah. your class size is too big. What do you got, 40 in your 41, class? 41, and that's down from 44. Three year on maternity leave. Well, at least you know that you've got him excited about biology. (laughs) Imagine what an amazing teacher you'd be if you just had one student. Oh, yeah, I'd have that kid in college by 14. (laughs) Well, obviously, Ryan isn't you, but he's smart, and with the right preparation, I think he could do this. Maybe, maybe it could work. Oh, hey. Mm. I, uh, just gonna grab the last of the boxes. No need to talk to me about anything. So, spoiler alert, ultimately, she says, I'm going to stay home and right. homeschool Boyd. And then they decide that maybe that's not the best idea. So his dad ends up right. make, taking the leap and, and homeschooling him. I thought it was really interesting, The and this is not an unusual, but I mean, the, her initial reaction is what I suppose a lot of the people's initial mm-hmm. reaction would be, especially as a teacher, because she, she doesn't just doubt it. She's sort of disdainful of the whole yeah. idea, like, oh, homeschooling, that's, you know, awful. Yeah. You need this and that and the other. And, and um and then when presented with, you know, a brief argument about, you know, the school's just not working for him, you know, and then she sort of comes around that idea. Yeah. Um, she does bring up another interesting point, too, about, you know, trained teachers and, and how can this 
kid possibly be educated by someone who's not a trained teacher? And there's mm-hmm. a lot of this, this debate and discussion around that topic these days too, which should we, you know, can we fast track, certify, you yeah. know, people want to make a second career, you know, mm-hmm. change and become mm-hmm. a teacher and where there's this big teacher shortage allegedly and, you know, how do we fill that void? And I was at an event yesterday in Indianapolis where they were talking about, it was five uh, education leaders in Indianapolis and, and the question to them was, Basically, if someone came up and gave you $5 million, you know, what would you do with it to make education better? Mm-hmm. And every one of them said, basically, put it into creating better teachers and school leaders. Now, that may very well be true, but sure. um, um, it's just interesting to me. Her initial reaction is such that, one, it's a crazy idea, and then, two, you can't possibly do it unless you have teachers who are trained in whatever the manner that, that the current system <laughs> right. is, which right. people will tell you. I mean, some people now will say that's the system of trained teachers isn't working very well. Oh, so. man, I have tons of teacher teacher right. friends who are like, college was the worst yeah. and it was not helpful exactly. in a lot so of ways. Exactly. So that's sort of another systemic problem that some people have tackled for years is how do we actually increase, um, you know, I don't want to say the, the, well, I don't know, the level of quality of teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of radical proposals about that, too, that will really stir things up. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing I think about this clip is that um, Ryan – doesn't he want to engage in the conversation? Like he knows what's coming. Yeah. And so he wants to make this choice for his kid. And rather than be excited about it, he doesn't want to talk about it because he knows he's going to be mocked by his, you know, right. his mother-in-law. And um, They are kind of pushy in-laws. So they are. <laughs> but I think that's a that faces a lot of folks when you're trying to make choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to sort of consider how am I going to be judged by my choice? Sure. And we do it to each other all the time. but. Mm. It just seems like that's not something, uh, if we could spend a little less time with that. And, and there's, yeah, you know, on it, a whole host of issues. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but if she's concerned, I get it. And there's a certain way to obviously express concern. But, um, but his reaction of, I don't even want to have this conversation with you because I know what you're going to say. Right. And fortunately, it turns out not to be the case. So. Right, right. Yeah. He ends up being really surprised when they're right. like, no, actually, we think this is a good idea. Right. And, and eventually everybody comes around. And I don't think we know really how that turns out for Boyd. I kind of was scanning for other episodes that had him in there. He's sort of a right. a character that pops up intermittently in the series. And um, I don't know how it turns out. but Yeah. I thought it was also interesting, too, that Ryan, so he he decides to make this big life switch, right? I'm mm-hmm. not sure what his career is or what he's doing. I think he drives a beer truck. Okay. So he's, you know, um, obviously in a position where he can do something different. So he decides yeah. to pour himself in. There's a scene in there where they talk about how much he's given up for his Yeah, kid. yeah. And so he's willing to maybe make the, a final, you know, or an additional sacrifice. Um, and he makes it, or he wants to make it. Um, but then the first thing he's confronted with is first, hey, you're making the wrong decision. And then two, I'm going to take that away from you anyway. Like his right. mother-in-law says, I'll do it instead. Right. And I'm sure at some level he's thinking, no, I really want this to work because this is me, you know, doing it. And, yeah. and immediately um, he faces the prospect of someone saying, well, you can make that choice, but then we'll take over the, you know, instruction for you because right. you're not capable. Right. And uh, I think a lot of parents probably feel that way when they're involved in these. And some of these decisions are huge and you can't mm-hmm. do them lately. But, um, you know, you think you're engaged in making the right decision for your, your kid and then all of a sudden – Someone yeah. sort of tells you that you're not for whatever reason. And, you know, that can be daunting as a parent. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, all this, this parenting stuff, you know, they don't they don't include all these these higher end things in the uh, going to be a parent manual. It's that true. I got. It's true. You know, it's all about diapers and, uh, you know. Even uh, that gets a little like that, right? judgy and shaky. <laughs> cloth, disposable. Oh, I know. It starts this, this whole debate. It starts from the it starts from pregnancy, honestly, which <laughs> being a man in your parenting relationship, you probably didn't experience that much. But no, there's a lot of. Uh, are you actually going to eat that? Are you sure you want to eat that? You <laughs> might harm your baby. Right. Um, 
yeah, we definitely could work on just generally being more supportive of each other as parents. Exactly. Like, you do you as long as your kid is happy and healthy. And and I think that that's kind of what we find with education. Like, a lot of homeschool education is based on a relationship, so you don't really need – I mean, sure, you know, parents should have support and they should have a way to make sure, like, yes, my kid can read and do basic arithmetic. Those are good things. But, I mean, a lot of times you can kind of figure that out as you go along because you're one-on-one with a kid. I mean, you've got all the time in the world to sit down and figure out what works for your kid, whether you are an educated teacher, which a lot of my homeschool friends came from education backgrounds, or, you know, you drive a beer truck. (laughs) Right. And I think there's this this notion, too, because not all homeschooling is going to succeed. I mean, it could turn out that Ryan's a terrible teacher and he has to go back to Well, just like all of the public school. Well, that's the point. Yeah. So these people who want to shout for the rooftops that you got to have accountability this and they won't work and you've got to have this and that. No. Well, then turn around and look at the system that you're you're a part of and tell me that you expect or, or... you know, you take 100% success. You don't. Right. I mean, it doesn't happen. So yeah. then what happens there? So none of these systems are foolproof. Um, mm-hmm. And I often talk to people about, you know, there's some way you got to try to mitigate failure, but failure is going to happen. Right. And so then what do you do with that? Yeah. And then what supports can we give people who want to opt out? And mm-hmm. uh, so with education savings accounts becoming more prevalent, you're going to see yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. There's a group in Colorado um, that is building this whole new, they call it Reschool Colorado, and they're trying to build another version of, of essentially schooling that will include public private charter or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the big parts of it, it's a long-term project for them, but one of the big things they came up with early was that we're going to have to have what they, I think they called navigators. And it's basically just people who are going to be there to help parents making yes, choices, yes. get them information, sure. help them through all the, the, the processes. Mm-hmm. And I assume part of it's going to be also, you know, here's the way you can measure success because mm-hmm. you do have to have some level of yeah. You know, are the kids learning? Because yep. if we're going to be critical of public schools that, you know, maybe aren't doing a great job of teaching Johnny to write and read. Right. Then we ought to hold parents to the same standard if sure. they take that on. Sure. So uh, these navigators, I think, would be part of that process. Yeah. And, yeah. That's uh, something we've talked about here in office, too, um, particularly as like three of us. Well, two two of the other guys in office are they, they're in their district school and they don't have as many options as I do living in downtown Indy. We have charters and magnets and a private school option and it was a lot and it was a huge decision to make. And I work in the education movement and it felt overwhelming. And so for parents and especially like, what, what even is Montessori? There's a, there's a school in in the IPS magnets called Paidea. And like, what even is that? Like nobody knows what this is. So having somebody to walk with you through those choices and say, you know, like, oh, your kid is an independent learner. A Montessori might be a good fit for them. Or like your kid really needs somebody to be, you know, focused and teaching them things step by step. Like Montessori is probably not a great fit. Right. Um, so that sounds like an excellent endeavor. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it turns hopefully out. Hopefully that'll I mean, spread. I mean, a lot of this is, you know, it's it's uh, it's glacial, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're trying to change a system that has been around for a long time. Yeah. And there's a lot of invested people in it. Yep. Uh, both good and bad. But um, I just, it's not going to be quick either way. Yeah. But in the meantime, why don't we give people the, the chance to, to control their own destiny and yeah. Do the best they can and support them as the best we can, sure. and you know, not judge them for it, not accuse them of abandoning their local schools, mm-hmm. not being elitist, you know, not discouraging people who want to get in the classroom. Yeah, you know, let's give them every opportunity to do so in sure. a way that makes sense. So that's why we do what we do. That's right. You've been doing it for a little longer than I have, <laughs> but we're both happy to be here. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is our episode of this round of Ed Choice Chats. So. Be sure to subscribe on social media at EdChoice on Twitter. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want some more inside photos of the fun stuff we do here at the office. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher and sign up for email on our website at www.edchoice.org. 